Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Well, okay, why don't we go ahead and get started. We're on our last session on the historic confessions, and that being the uh, Westminster Confession, the 1689 London Confession, and even uh, our own one that is honoring the uh, historic confessions and really is in the same same vein as, as those that's, uh, that you have on your outlines there, dealing with the Congregational Confession. Uh, coming from Zach. And so what we're going to do tonight, um, we just came off of the Lord's Supper, communion, and right at the end of that was dealing with um, examine yourselves. I don't know if we really got to really cover that very much, but um, of course... You think of uh, in Corinthians when it talks about the, the Lord's Supper there in chapter 11. And there were some that were taking it and were taking it in a uh, wrong way, uh, an unworthy way. And so what we're going to do is kind of take off on that because in the Westminster Confession, they include what would be equal to uh, church discipline. And in the confession that we have here in the 1689 they don't include that particular chapter but I'll just take a few moments with it won't spend a lot of time on with it but it's um, dealing with uh, the church discipline uh, which would follow off the heels of the Lord's Supper so you could kind of see why and how that would be there Um, as of course God makes judgment but he also has given um, the church to make judgments Two inside the church. Of course, I, I have to think of the um, the text in um, Matthew chapter um, sixteen, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he talks about the church and the church that is being built right there at that time. On really, it's on the person of Christ. And uh, he uses the word church, of course, in verse 18, he says uh, in chapter 16, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will, on this rock, this massive rock, this great foundation, uh, this confession of yours, of Jesus Christ, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Well, that's in Matthew 16. And then later on in chapter 18, he talks about what we know to be um, church discipline. And he says, if your brother sins, in verse 15, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to that, you have won your brother. So when two people have, uh, when there's been an offense to a brother, they are to be able to talk it out and uh, discuss that matter, and if it's something that continues on, or if there's uh, an offense that uh, affects the church, then it it continues on with this. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So you've had the issue of one with another, now one uh, bringing witnesses, and if one is resistant to that, and there has been quite an offense that would be uh, affecting the church, he says in 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And there's the word ecclesia again, the called out ones. Tell it to them. And so we've seen the steps one-on-one, and then uh, you have then witnesses, and then it goes before the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Treat him as that way. Treat him, even though he might be a believer, uh, right now it seems like he's acting like an unbeliever, like a Gentile, a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And uh, so there is a little bit more uh, about the church. And so Jesus, uh, of course, we know established that church and uh, those called out ones. We see it in action in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I started to say 2 Corinthians. been in there so long. But it's in 1 Corinthians 5 where 
you have an individual who has done an immoral act, and Paul was wanting the church to take care of that matter. This immorality that had been involved in chapter 5, verse 1, says it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, there again he's talking about the church, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And of course, you know, they weren't taking care of the matter, and there was this immorality going on, and they were, the church was living like the world. Uh, the church was living like Corinth. And uh, so he wanted that to be taken uh, care of. Immorality has to be judged. Uh, don't even associate with immoral people. And so the, the church, if, if he didn't listen, he wasn't listening, then they, took, they were to take the matters here, and we see that um, um, there, there's not to even be an association with them until one is restored. And, of course, that's the whole idea of church discipline anyway so that a brother would be restored. That's where you see it in, in our Matthew uh, 18. We see it here as far as the Corinthians are concerned. And I think uh, later on when Paul wrote to them again, he was concerned that they were not um, forgiving him now and that that matter had been taken care of and he was repentant. Uh, and so he wanted to see a restoration. And that reminds me of uh, Galatians. In uh, chapter 6, it talks about restoring one. Uh, but there in verse 1, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Anyway, uh, there is a a one-on-one situation where one could uh, be edifying to another and the whole aspect is is that there would be a a restoration, spirit of gentleness. And uh, so anyway, we we get that uh, going back to what Jesus had set forth and then uh, Paul showed that there is to be a church discipline, especially when it's something as serious that affects others in the church. And so that's part of a confession, a Westminster Confession. Like I say, there's not a specific chapter on it in the, uh, the 1689, uh, although it, it can allude to it in as far as the, the church is concerned. So I wanted to put that in there. Tonight I'm just basically going with the last, last two chapters that we have in uh, what Zach had put together and what's in the 1689. Um, so anyway, I don't know if you guys have any questions on, on that one. went through it rather rapidly. I didn't really uh, read how that reads there, but um, a lot of coverage to go here. Lord willing, we'll, we'll get through this uh, tonight. There is um, the next chapter, and I think I have an outline as chapter 32 and 33, right? Okay, and so that, and I think they even extended on, I know they extended on the Westminster Confession where there are actually 35 chapters, there are a couple extra ones, although a lot of them uh, say that those really weren't needed, they've been covered in certain other areas, and um, but others wanted to add to it much later on, uh, kind of a modern time. Thing. But anyway, this is a pretty good way to end it where it talks about the state of man after death and the resurrection of the dead. And of course, there's an intermediate state. Um, we know there are a lot of scriptures dealing with that. And the confession actually addresses the state of man, uh, whether, and of course, death, final resurrection. And there's some commonalities about the souls of all men, believer or unbeliever. Um, and 
when we read this from the outset, it'll show that both of them are together in that sense, and then it'll start dividing it up and showing what they are. But you have the righteous soul, you have the wicked soul. Um, Mick, you have that right in front of your, your face there. Can you read that nine-point type there on yeah. the very first one? Oh, you want me to do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the state of man after death and of the resurrection of the dead. The bodies of men after death return to dust and undergo corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness are received into paradise, where they are with Christ, and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges Thank you there, Mick. Yeah, this is um, pretty general stuff, but at the same time, this is something that the whole world needs to know, and especially when you get into the very last uh, chapter, which deals with judgment, but uh, a lot of people have no idea what happens to us when we die. Um, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. Just a just straight, flat-out truth, there it is. You know, it's pretty bare, isn't it? Uh, returns to dust, sees corruption. Of course, you think of Genesis 3.19, uh, where God told Adam, by the sweat of your face, after they had sinned, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Your body returns to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So all the elements... Here, that's no matter how they break down, some people are doing different methods today, but whatever it is, those elements will exist and continue to go, but they're just broken down at that time. And they, of course, it says here to dust, uh, they'll see corruption. And then you think of in Acts 13, uh, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, died and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Of course, that's his body there, um, Acts 13, 36. So there we, we know because of Genesis, because of those that Acts passage and, and many others, we, we know that that's a basic fact. But there would be uh, many people that would probably contest that today. We were talking about it earlier. People are now are contesting about saying the word man, meaning mankind. And, um, you know, we must be gender-friendly today. <laughs> and you're even hearing in the armed forces, uh, whether it be grade schools and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, that uh, are not to use boy and girl anymore, man or woman. <laughs> you open up your Bible in Genesis, and right off the bat you see that there's, what, mankind and man and woman. So... Uh, <laughs> Whatever you feel like, right? That's. But then there, there's truths, aren't there? So these are essential truths. The next phrase was, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep. So now it's, it's dividing the sense that there's body, and then there's souls. In contrast to men's bodies, the souls do not die. They don't see corruption. They don't go to dust. There's no physical de- decay. Says they have an immoral, uh, immortal subsistence. The souls have an immortal subsistence. Usually, when you think of immortal, you think of eternal. Well, in this case, the soul isn't eternal in that it's always been here, like God is eternal. But whenever that soul is given life, now it's going to live for how long? As long as it's here on earth? No, forever. Right. And that's and he hasn't talked about the believer yet. We're talking about everybody, everyone who's been born has a soul. So mankind's soul has an immortal subsistence. What's subsistence? It's the condition of existing, continuing to exist. You have the word existence, uh, subsistence, dealing with existence. Um, immortal, 
able to have eternal life or existence. So in that sense, the soul will live on. A lot of people would like to think, okay, I die and then that's it. And they don't have anything else to, to think or worry about after that. Um, and we also know that other people like to think that God is such a good God that uh, we'll all be in a state of bliss. Uh, the confession, just like the Bible, does not teach universalism, that all men have a eternal life, in the sense eternal life with God. Um, but the, this confession here is stating that the soul is immortal. Um, it uh, eternally exists from the point that God creates the souls. So there's a distinction between the body and the soul. If you understand that, then you have the foundation to the rest of what progresses in this particular chapter uh, about uh, death and the resurrection. It says, immediately return to God who gave them. Uh, So the second assertion is uh, this soul returns to God. And it says, immediately. Immediately. the purpose there uh, is that it's going to be assigned either to uh, a preliminary reward or punishment and so the, the, uh, until there's a final judgment. So the dust returns to the earth as it was physically, but the spirit returns to God and the spirit returns there uh, immediately. I have to think of Ecclesiastes. You remember in Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, it's the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, and you guys remember this, we were uh, on Ecclesiastes not too long back, before we got into the study at one time, right? It wasn't that far ago. And you remember it talks about the people who get older, and they get older, and they start becoming decrepit. <laughs> You know, he uses flowery words uh, such as the almond tree blossoming, kind of like that. The grasshopper drags himself along, the caper berry is ineffective. He uses different ways, but he's talking about in this body we start uh, losing hair, losing teeth, and just every aspect of that. Yes. Time he gets down into verse 7, then he says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Just speaking in general, not necessarily a believer or unbeliever, all people in the sense that there's a soul that um, returns to God. Not necessarily to live with God, being an unbeliever, but then God will also uh, give that punishment to the unbeliever. This is a an increasing... Uh, decrepitude, condition of being old and uh, the approaching death that comes with it. It's not a an exciting thing to think about. At the same time, it's fact. It's very repulsive in a sense, this disillusion of the body and, and uh, the soul. It's, it's a separation. You know, they it's like they're designed to be together, but because of sin, there's a disillusion. Yeah. Bar. So this is using body and soul, which is the, I guess, bipartite view. Or a dichotomist or a view. Dichotomist. What about the trichotomist? And we won't get into that tonight. <laughs> but there, there are, uh, you know, there, for the most part, historically, the the church and, and in Reformed theology, not not all, but most would say dichotomist. Um and I can see that. I can see where some people take a, a trichotomy view also. Uh, you get into um, some pretty good uh, disagreements sometimes when you hear the debate on that. And of course, that, that is a, would be a class in itself. We actually spent one time on it when we were back at the store. And um, I, I showed some favorable elements of, of both sides. James Montgomery Boyce uh, actually took a trichotomy Economist view. Of course, I, I love uh, uh, Boyce's aspect. I thought I thought he had some really good points, um, but then you'll talk to some very very good theologians, and they're very much against trichotomy. Uh, there are verses um, that that are used for that, dividing the soul between joints and marrow, and um, but. Um, it's not one of those things to break fellowship over. It's uh, interesting to look at, look at it historically, and 
there you can look at it scripturally too but at any rate um, I knew I knew that I was heading into that direction that was going to be asked probably but if I spent too and there again if I spent too much time I'd, I'd take it but yeah what happens we do know that the spirit and soul very much of the time are the same so some will say well because of spirit then that's different than the soul and that's not necessarily true in that sense and that's probably what keyed, keyed your question off there Ecclesiastes is saying spirit there well and you, <clears throat> you use soul and spirit interchangeably too so right. I was right. just kind of thinking right. about that that's a very fair question like I say it, it does get into quite the depth and boy all of a sudden you can get debates going on that one so. maybe we can study that for a class time in the future <laughs> We we sure could. <laughs> we just we just might do that. We get we get dry from material, and we'll check that one out. There we go. Okay. They, uh, so we see that there is a disillusion that does happen, and and uh, Waldron Sam Waldron, who has written a commentary on the 1689 Confession, he's a Baptist Reform guy. Uh, he indicates how unnatural that this character is because of the separation. Uh, of course, this is what sin has caused for that to happen. Uh, the next phrase goes, The souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness are received into paradise, where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And we like that. Now, it's gone from just a general soul to one who was a believer. This soul is one who goes to live with Christ for eternity. He's received into paradise. He's with Christ. He's beholding the face of God. He sees Him, um, this light and glory. And he's wet. But this is an intermediate state now. It's still not the final state. A lot of people say, well, you die and you go on to be with God and you get your glorious body and everything. But there is still this intermediate time till you get First Thessalonians 4, First um, Corinthians 15, which deals with the, the rapture, the, the coming back of Christ, meeting, um, meeting the saints in the air where the spirits or the souls unite together with the body that's resurrected. So how, how, can, how can we die and we be in the grave and at the same time we are absent from the body and present with the Lord immediately? Well, that's the case. There you have the body, the soul. Body is its elements. And God can take those elements no matter how much they've been scattered or whatever happened to them. He can take those elements, put them together. You know, I mean, He can do anything He wants. Um, anyway, I think Hebrews twelve twenty three is a great verse for this. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. They no longer have sin anymore. The spirits of the righteous. There it is. The spirits, or we could say their soul, is now perfectly righteous, totally without sin, have not gotten together with the body yet, but yet they are spirits there in heaven. And uh, that that would be Hebrews twelve twenty three. That's that's an intermediate state. As soon as they die, they go to be uh, with the Lord. I think of um, how about Luke twenty three forty three. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise today. Second uh, Corinthians five one. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There it would be speaking of uh, an eternal state also, uh, uh, not the eternal state, but an intermediate state, but yet it's, you know, we, we long for that glorified body, that resurrection body. Second uh, Corinthians five six through eight. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Like right now, we're at home right here in this body, but we're not with Him physically. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
and we really desire for that to happen, and we know one day it will. Um, Philippians 1.23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Uh, Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Um, but anyway, we, we know in, in Romans 8.23, it, it says... Uh, uh, Inwardly, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So even right now, you know, we groan for that to happen. And then we'll go to be with him if we die, and, and uh, then we will still wait for that, that body. So, so he now has said something what happens to the believer uh, as far as their body and their soul is together or, or apart, waiting to get put back together again. Now he talks about the wicked. The souls of the wicked are cast into hell. Boy, that's not a favorable thing to tell anybody, is it? Where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. There are people that do not want to talk about hell because it's a disfavorable thing. It's not one of those things we rejoice in. We don't like the idea of of somebody being in torment forever, you know, and it's not like we rejoice in that, yet at the same time, it uh, it's truth. That's why the unbelievers need to be told. There's a stark contrast between the souls of the righteous and the souls of the wicked. When we read those verses about being with God, uh, the souls here, it says they're cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. So it says, as soon as they die, they're going to be in torment and utter darkness. As soon as they die, just like that, they're not going to wait either. Their bodies are going to be just like anybody else is going to go to the ground, but their soul, which is eternal, will immediately go into um, uh, torment. Which is something that's interesting. It just struck me. I hadn't really thought of this before. You talk about torment. It's not a physical torment. It's not like you're burning there. It it must be a soul torment. And I wonder what that consists of. I mean, I can I can understand rejoicing in in front of the Lord in His face and just beholding Him. But the torment of a soul in hell that that should drive us to. Right. Warn people, shouldn't it? Is it's going to be eternal separation from God. Right. But the sinner is already separated from God, so they're not going to know any different, are they? We still um, have God's creation in us. Mm-hmm. They get to the rainfall of mm-hmm. the righteous and the well, let's take a look at a few of the scriptures. Let's let's go into about this about this hell. Uh, no, you're right on it. This is right where we're at. Um, yeah, segue. <laughs> exactly. Five twenty two of Matthew. But I say to you, now there he's Jesus is talking about. Uh, you should not commit murder. But he tells him what murder is. If you have a an angry thought towards somebody, you you know, you've, you've murdered them. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is very early in Jesus' ministry as he puts this forth, and he, he's, he talks about hell a lot. Uh, Matthew really brings it out, so we'll just go through a few. But there he, he calls it a fiery hell. Go to Matthew ten twenty eight, and then we we know it's outer darkness. I mean, it's just it's 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 just, it's more horrible than even what it sounds like. Whatever it is, uh, it's some place that we don't want to be. And Jesus talked about it, so it has to exist. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body 
in hell. There he puts the soul and the body together where there will be a resurrection of the body of, of the, um, the wicked. Just like the, we will have a resurrection body, they will have a resurrection body fit for hell. We will have a resurrection body fit for eternal life. Here, destroy doesn't mean destroy and then that's it and then they're done. Uh, where it's annihilationism, destroy is to loosen, um, you know, to make it. Um, I think luo is probably the word there, but we get the idea of uh, that. So it's not destroy where it's permanently uh, gone forever, but it's a it's it's eternal. And because of other passages, we know that that is the case. Look in Matthew twenty three thirty three. Some graphic descriptions. These are all by Jesus. A lot of people say, I, I love Jesus. I don't like the Old Testament, but I love Jesus because He's so sweet and He talks about love. Well, that's true. Uh, but we have to look at all that Jesus speaks about. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done with it should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Um, what, what you have here is he's putting on quite the, the judgment. If, if you look all the way back to 15, he, he calls them, um, and I'll read the whole thing. What do you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites? Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. Go to the Gentiles to convert them into Judaism. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. A son of hell. Uh, it's like that's where uh, uh, what they're about, what their existence is. So anyway, that whole chapter is uh, about the, the Pharisees and the con- condemnation of them. Yeah. So, um, did, so this comes from Zach's confession. Did he take this from the Westminster? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, he took based that off of the 1689, 1689 confession, which is very close to the Westminster. Because I had, I had heard, uh, I guess, confessional Westminster explain that hell doesn't come until the end. So, so souls would be sent to a place of torment and then cast into hell. But the way it reads, no, it says... That the souls are the wicked, of the wicked, are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great. Then there will be another judgment. It's like they are put into a local jail cell right now, but there will be an a a sentencing that is like the uh, sentence to a prison. Because I'm thinking also of that passage in Revelation. Is it hell thrown into the lake of fire? The lake of fire. Yeah, which, and of course, that's a continual. For the abyss, is that synonymous with hell? Uh, well, there there is an abyss that is mentioned. There uh, also there is a place that where the the demons are held, and that's Tartarus, another word for hell. But it was reserved only. I think that's the only time it's used there in Peter, chapter two, Second Peter. Tart, what's that? And the false teachers. Yes, right. And he's comparing that, yeah. And, of course, if the, the demons were, were placed there, that was a reserve, and they're held there until a final judgment. They're going to be released for a little bit of a time out here on this earth. Right now they're held back for something that they did, um, which some would say would be dealing with the, dealing with the sons of men, uh, the women. Wednesday night class that I just finished, on angels and demons. They said that there's the two types of demons. There's bound demons and the free demons. And Those are the bound the demons. Bound demons yeah. are And they're Tartars. That's right. And, um, of course, you, you get out of the Old Testament, you get Gehenna. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, it's, you think of the, the trash heap uh, where yeah. it just burned constantly. And of course, the that's a picture. The same thing as hell, then, right? What's that? Lake of Fire is the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of these. These are different. Some instances, some uh, whereas it would be the eternal state. Others are like uh, uh, places, uh, holding places till then. 
And that's uh, that's the way the 1689 would read. Is that that's the way you picked it up there, right? Is that uh, what you were yeah, saying? The one I just read. Yeah, right. But I had heard it explained differently. But I guess you can you can call them all hell. Right, right, and that's that's the idea. Um, and of course, you you get the man. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you get uh, the rich man Lazarus. You guys are familiar with that story. Um, some call that a parable. I. I I say that it's it's real. Uh, a man's name is mentioned there, people's names. Uh, it, it can be a parable if if you like, but it's it's as as real as can be if it's a parable. But I I think it's really this is what Jesus knew of as as he related to that, and and of course he he wanted water, for instance, uh, you know, put put a little bit on my lips, right? Um, but he never asked to be taken out of hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he knew that he, it wouldn't happen. At least tell my brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Tell them that are there, you know. And so there's a, that, and that's a holding place of where he he is at. He's still there until there be a final judgment. Yeah, Barb. Okay, so after we die, our souls go to heaven. Then we have the final judgment where we get our resurrection bodies. But then that's when the new heavens and earth are going to happen too. So we're some whoa, 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 whoa. We have, and for those who take a millennial view, and there are many different scriptures we could go to that, but now we're hitting on another issue. But there is, you, what you have is, a, uh, according to Revelation 20, you have, um, let's say, before that, we've had Christ come back, right? Christ comes back. And for all those, let's say the Christians, let's say it's us and we have died already. Okay, we've been with the Lord. We haven't had our body. When Christ comes back, then the dead who are in Christ will rise or will get their bodies. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet Christ in the air. And they get their uh, the, the bodies there. The people are changed uh, instantly. Some people don't have to die. Then you have a thousand years. This is where Christ rules and reigns on earth. And what you have there then are all the believers who will be in that kingdom. And they will have glorified bodies. Okay? Okay. But the ones who are unbelievers, and then it talks about a second death and such there, um, they still haven't been raised yet until after the thousand-year kingdom. If we were to go to Revelation chapter 20, I'll take time on that because this is pertaining exactly to that. It's a great white throne judgment. Because in 20, in your first six verses, it talks about a thousand years, mentions it six times. Um, talks about uh, Satan being bound during that time. And he's thrown into the abyss and he's sealed there for that time where he can deceive the nations uh, not. And in verse, uh, pick it up, verse 4. Uh, saw thrones, they sat on them, judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. There's your martyrs of the church. Because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast or his image had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Well, if you have the believers who are resurrected and all the ones who have been believers down through the ages and they're resurrected, there's the rest of the dead. Who are those? Well, he talks about there's a first resurrection. Okay, that'd be the resurrection of the believers. And then it says, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Who's that? Believers. That's where we get our bodies. Over those, the second death has no power. Okay, but they will be priests to God and Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years you have the great white throne judgment. And this is where people are, there's the final judgment. This is where they go from their holding place where they've been as far as the unbelieving world. And they now will be judged 
for the, the eternal aspect. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Who are they? They're the dead. Uh, these are the ones who have this, this is this second resurrection, or uh, the, the, the second one. Remember we talked, we're in the first resurrection. This is the resurrection of the ones. This is who he's calling the dead here. Uh, Anyway, we stand for the throne, books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death, and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, see the death, Hades, the, the holding place where they've been, uh, they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds, then death and Hades were thrown into a lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is your final destination for them, but it's eternal. It, and there is, they will be resurrected for, in, at, at that time period. Anyway, so there's a great white throne judgment that comes after the thousand-year kingdom. No, I, I understand no. that, and I think I asked my question rather poorly, but I won't take up any more time on that right now. I'll get with you after. Okay. Um, if that's okay. So, okay, we, we've been dealing with the uh, the hellish issue. Well, we were, I think we read 20, verse 15 there, right? If anyone's name is not found written in the book, in the life he's thrown in a lake of fire. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hell, there's a holding place until the final judgment, which uh, then, which is reserved, uh, and uh, that's the the lake of fire. But they're, they're, you're talking about torment and utter darkness reserved to judgment of the great day. Uh, even the angels who didn't stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in the eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Well, I'm in Jude 1, 6, and 7. He compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah who likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So they didn't keep their proper dwelling place, and those were the angels that were judged there, and they're in a holding place already. So um, you, you have Hades, torment, um, like we said, we have a Luke 16, 23 and 24, we used... a. Um, the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham who's mentioned. Um, so there's no universalism in the Bible. There's no annihilationism. We see that very clearly what we've just read. Um, well, isn't that what most of the atheists think is going to happen? Yeah, you die and then that's it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, all well and fine. I mean, well, that'd be great. Okay, you know, what have I got to lose? You know, after that, I don't even know it. You know, I'm not, a, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm not no, conscien no conscious. conscious. Like, you know, they try to say that, but when it comes down to somebody close to them dying, they always hope that there's something else for them. It's always that hope. Where did they get that at, I wonder? It's built in, isn't it? And it's always positive. Like, they're yeah. in a better place. Yes, they're in a better place. Who yeah. was it who said sometimes yeah. they think all you have to do to go to heaven is die? Mm -hmm. yeah. Just die. Yeah. 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 Matthew twenty five forty six for people for even people who confess to be Christians if they ever say that yeah but you know God is not that kind of a God he's he's fair with people and uh, he will just punish them for a little you know a few moments and then that's it you know they just annihilate or whatever in verse forty six it says in Matthew twenty five these and that you have the sheep and the goat judgment these will go away these are unbelievers into eternal punishment I can't think of anything more clear than that eternal. it's eternal what is eternal forever. forever eternal punishment 
And you can say, boy, what kind of God is that? Well, He's very righteous. He's very holy. People don't understand that righteousness and holiness if they uh, look at God in any other way. And uh, so it's it's an eternal punishment. Uh, pretty pretty heavy-duty stuff. But um, besides these two places, the Bible does not give any other option. It's one or the other. Uh, for the souls that are separated from their bodies, the Scripture acknowledges that there are two, and there's no middle ground. There is not a purgatory, which the Roman Catholic faith uh, believes in. How uh, easy it is, but it's very implicitly stated there in our in our confession. Those are really the only two places. Okay, that was number one out of that one, and uh, we took pretty well the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna, but that sets forth. If you have that, then a lot of the other ones just roll off of that. The second one says, "At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed." Jehovah's Witnesses believe in soul sleep. Seventh Day Adventists believe in soul sleep. That means you die, your body goes to sleep. We've seen that where it, it's mentioned. Uh, you know, he's asleep. You know, he, he. You know, he's. It's like okay, he died. That's that's the idea, you know. But um, but what they say is that's what happens to your soul. Well, we've already seen what happens to the soul. Uh, all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies, none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. There you can think of your First Corinthians fifteen, your First Thessalonians four. Job even said that he knew when he had died, then he would see uh, the Lord. Uh, it's taught in the Old Testament, New Testament alike. At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. Uh, so you mean I won't be <laughs> Don't know about size, but you'll have... And, and I know you're going to say, this sounds not so hopeful. We're going to have the same bodies. But whenever I say that, I'm saying it the way that they're saying it here. But yet, we, the self-same, all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other. That means your body isn't going to be somebody else. Or you're going to be somebody different. Your body is going, 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to be like the body you have now. But Barb, it might be 10 feet tall. Or they're, you yeah, know. The same face. So. Of course, yeah. it's going to be 40 feet tall. <laughs> 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 well, I've got to show you after we turn here what it looks like when um, they what they are they're going to be bodies fitted for eternal destiny for eternal life bodies fitted for that though it will be the soul uh, the the soul same body in that we are that that person you're still going to have your same personality. You're going to have that body, but its qualities will be different. Uh, and that's it. It's the same, but yet different. You mean different. it's not turning it's not into be... angels? Oh, it's come on. This same body will be incorruptible, impossible to be, be sick, and it'll, and it'll be united to the soul. That's the righteous. Absolutely, cannot be there. I remember uh, C.S. Lewis writing about the glorified body and saying that when he when he looked at saints and Christians, he would he would say like, "This is a person that if I saw them a hundred years from now, I would actually be tempted to worship them." Right. Hmm. It was like you know. The, the oh, of, yeah. The the apostles that were tempted to worship the mm-hmm. the angels. The angels. So much glory that's going to be incredible. And, of course, these bodies couldn't even get... 1 Corinthians 15 mentions that. Can't get into that kingdom. Can't make it. These bodies are not fit for that kind of lifestyle. Uh, Absolutely incredible. Um, United to the soul of the uh, the righteous. And and we're waiting for the redemption of the body. That's, That's really what we want so much. Charles Hodge said this. It's not a new body substituted for the old, but the old is changed into the new. You get that? It's not a new body substituted for the old, where there's something just entirely different, it's just substituting, but it's the old changed into the new. 
Um, the third part of that, the bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. There's the unjust. The bodies of the just, by his spirit, unto honor, to be made com uh, conformable to his own glorious body. Acts 24, 15, John 5, 28 and 29, Philippians 3, 21. Uh, uh, You've got you to do Philippians 3, 21. I think I alluded to this earlier, but um, this is always great to hold on to. They're talking about the Lord Jesus. We're waiting for Him eagerly. We're eagerly waiting for the Savior. Verse 21, who will transform the body. Now, our minds are being renewed. We're being transformed in, in that way, right? Now here we're talking about the body of our humble state. You know, these jars of clay. Into conformity with the body of His glory which, Alan, that's what you're talking about as you're quoting C.S. Lewis, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So we will be conformed to the very body that Christ has now. That's incredible. We see a general resurrection in this third part here where you have the just and the unjust, but the unjustified versus the justified are entirely different, aren't they? a glorious body conformable to His. So indeed, salvation has reached its accomplishment to this state of glorification. Uh, and, and by the way, we're waiting ultimately for the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and that's speaking of the eternal state. Second Peter three thirteen. When all of that, when you have the new heavens and new earth, then... You, you think ultimately of when everything goes into that eternal state. We will have the glorified bodies during uh, the, the kingdom age. So we'll already have that same body. Um, the last chapter is dealing with judgment, and we've kind of been covering this as we've been going along. But uh, God has appointed a day wherein He will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. There's the righteousness. There's the holiness. And what right does he have to do that? Well, in Acts 17.31, uh, as he's, Paul is giving the truth to the philosophers in Athens, says this, because he has fixed a day. Can you imagine bringing up the judgment, uh, judgment day to somebody out on maybe on High Street? Out on Missouri Boulevard somewhere, or maybe at Walmart, boy, you would be treated as one who is a hater. He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, the man Christ Jesus. <laughs> and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There is the reason why Christ can make this judgment to judge the world in righteousness. The resurrection. Christ's resurrection is a sign for all of mankind. If they don't get anything else, they need to know that Christ was raised from the dead. And that's what separates Christianity from all other religions anyway. No other religion has a raised Savior. Um, that testified of His authenticity, His authority, uh, that he can judge the nations. God the Father gave him the right to do that. John 5.22, he executes judgment. By the way, he says, To whom all power and judgment is given the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels will be judged. The apostate angels. They're demons now. And 1 Corinthians 6.3 says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? <laughs> How much more than matters pertaining to this life. Um, likewise, all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Subjects of the judgment that embraces the entire human race, every generation, each individual who's ever been born on, in this world. And it tells what will happen immediately after his resurrection and the completeness of his uh, reintegrated kind of person that he has, both soul and body. That's what A.A. Hodge, I think, put together very well. I can think of our resurrection chapters and some of the ones we've gone through, Second Corinthians 5.10.
any, anyway, um, there is nothing for us to fear. There is a judgment seat of Christ and, and where we give an account, but uh, we're not judged according to our deeds. Uh, we are actually rewarded, but the wicked, the deceitful, have everything to fear, don't they? This is remarkable, and they have the resurrection of Christ as the great sign for all of mankind. That's what Paul gave to the the world at Athens. Wow, pretty heavy duty. I think it's humbling to a Christian, but it's nice to know that we have everything to look forward to. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, we should be saying, if we're not, that means where's our walk at right now? We're not ready. We should be ready always. And that's why he holds back of the the day and the time, the epics, the seasons. We don't know when that is, we can kind of see the signs and get an idea, hey, this could be, seems like it's very close, that's okay to say. Uh, but we still don't know, but it behooves us, and throughout the church age, it's been the same way. They all knew that he could come back uh, immediately. He can come back any time, can't he? There's nothing left to fulfill. He could come back tonight. That's called the imminent return of Christ, knowing that's imminent at, at any time. Uh, that behooves Christians to keep the, the walk. Um, in the second one, it says, the end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy. So He appoints judgment and appoints this, this judgment day to show off His mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect. God gets great glory in showing mercy to the elect, and of his justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate. That's the way the confession reads. Sounds heavy, but I don't think it's any harder than what Jesus spoke about. Some of the verses that we read earlier, we didn't read half the verses that we could have. But he says, who are wicked and disobedient, for then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that relieving to us? Isn't that comforting? And then the next phrase, they worded it like this, but the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished, we read that earlier from Jesus, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And I think that is the real kicker. It's out of the presence of God. They're still in some presence of God. The church is here. The Holy Spirit's residing in the church. God is, reigns on the just and the unjust. You know, He shows His mercy and His kindness and love even to the, the reprobates. Uh, but at the same time... Um, we see that there will be an everlasting destruction and they're totally out of the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Well, that's the part I was talking about earlier. What would they care about that, being out of the presence of the Lord? Because they are anyway. Well, they still have, we still have God's creation that they get to enjoy for now. Well, I understand that. But they're this, not even going to have that. Whether they admit it or not, yeah. This is specifically just the presence of the Lord. It seems like they could care less about that now. Why would that suddenly matter? I I think they don't recognize the presence of the Lord now, but the presence of the Lord is around them. Yeah, they they will they and boy they will recognize it now that whether so they deny it or not. Yeah, exactly. Where you're going. Is actually manifesting his mm-hmm. presence oh, then, through nature and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they'll realize that as a hindsight mm-hmm. that that was God's presence. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how they'll that's how they'll suffer, so to speak. Well, yeah, he has such a protection for them right now. Uh, but whenever they're around nothing but evil and there is nothing to give them any kind of comfort whatsoever. Uh, boy, we can put in human words all we want. We can't imagine how wicked and evil this place will be. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, does the Bible teach that there are degree, degrees of judgment and it's, it's a 
punishments? Yeah, certainly. That's an excellent question, too. Um, we see that um, for the believer, there are degrees of reward. You know, there's some are going to get uh, lesser than than others, but still, yet the first, last, and the last first. But they will have more of, a, I guess, the best way to say it, more of a capacity to serve the Lord than others. But at the same time, it's, there's not going to be any deal of pride, uh, and the regret's going to be over. Remember, he's going to wipe every tear. And I have to think some the things that where we have failed the Lord, uh, and then you know it's like there could be crying at that moment, and then He wipes that away, and we will not be saying, "Boy, I wish I was like that guy," you know. But so but as as far as punishment goes, um, yeah, it definitely teaches in the sense that some are going to be held more responsible than than others. You know, they've been giving given a, a fuller revelation or they, you know, how they treated the, the what well, we the Lord those, had given them. Those that did yeah, absolutely. God's word, like preachers and people like that, that there's a more severity that will be yeah. to them. To, you well, know. Is it James 3, 1, where it says those who teach mm-hmm. are they have a greater degree. Right. Yeah. right. Well, um, getting getting Pretty well near the end here. Glad you guys are holding on. Thank you. Um, I'm going to read this from R.C. Sproul. Um, the opening phrase and the end of, there's there's a purpose of. Um, the end of God's appointing this day. Do you see that in the, the confession there? The end of, that. that's dealing with the purpose of, his whole purpose. This confession is stating the purpose for the last judgment. Sproul says this, both heaven and hell have the same ultimate purpose, to glorify God. Boy, is that humbling. It's for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect. And you think of Romans 9, 22 and 23, you guys are familiar with that? For then, uh, then... Then the next, for then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. Um, Well done, good and faithful servant, right? You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, He says, the king will say unto his right, to the ones on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This was prepared for the believers, the foundation. 2 Timothy 4.8, laid up for a crown of righteousness. Then he comes back and says, But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Christ shall be cast aside in everlasting torments. Um, the third one, as Christ would have us to certainly persuaded that there should be a day of judgment both to deter all men from sin. That's one reason for this judgment. And for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will he have the day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful. What does Jesus say? Be alert. Be watchful. Be ready. Because they know not at what hour the Lord will come and may ever be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Right? So Christ would have us to be per- uh, certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment. This is why Christ taught so much on it. He's called the greatest prophet. He's preached on salvation, and he preached on judgment. Um, R.C. Sproul said this too, Some people think that a good God would never actually punish anyone. But the, just the reverse is true. A judge who never punishes the wicked is not a good judge. God is the perfect judge whose judgment is good. Anyway, um, basically uh, leave off with that. It's a deterrent to sin. Be alert. Be ready. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, we earnestly desire that. And, um, you know, we look forward to that, but yet we're in awe of, of this too. And we know that our joy will be made complete. We have absolute confidence in this, don't we? I mean, we're not thinking, well, I hope this is okay. No, we are settled 
we are perfectly confident that God will bring this about. And uh, so that would, for our time that we live here then, it our performance of our duties should be more enhanced in our thinking of desiring to make Him pleased in what we do here, attaining holiness in this life and knowing what, what is to come. In Revelation 22.20, and I end with this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the teaching of these last things. Thank you that you have given us as believers absolute confidence. You've given us the faith to believe these things, which are overwhelming, incredible thing that we have awaiting for us. And uh, it's all by your mercy, your grace, your love. And we adore you for that. And Lord, for the ones who do not trust you, you have something that's set before us that would make us desire to witness to the truth of Jesus Christ and that there is a heaven and a hell. There is judgment to come. And we know everything that you say about it in your word is truth. Help us, Lord, to understand that even though we know that it's basic truth to us, yet at the same time, uh, it hell is real. And we have many loved ones who we know if they were to die now, um, we know you're the one who makes that final judgment, but yet at the same time, and if they're not confessing Jesus Christ and not uh, desiring you, we know, Lord, that that's what they have awaited for them. And uh, we just pray that you'll put it on our hearts to declare, preach, teach the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Until next time.